This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Welcome into episode 113 of Half Measures. Not just any episode, though, this week. We're going to do something a little different. We're going to put aside our regular agenda as we bring you the first of several deep dives into the lore of Star Wars as we move in timeline order from The Phantom Menace all the way through to The Revenge, <laughs> the, Revenge the Rise of Skywalker. And that means, of course, we start with episode one. And joining me... Is my pod race host, Dan Whiting. You refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? I believe it's him. Yeah, you can tell we've just watched this movie because we're, I know, right? we're quoting it line for line. I'm so hyped up, you know. I, I've been, you, you know me, Paul. I'm always on the, I'm always on the spice. I'm hyped up about uh, the Book of Boba Fett. I'm hyped up about the Mandalorian. I'm getting hyped up about Star Wars books. I'm so excited to start doing a bit of a, a deep dive into the uh, the Star Wars movies here. And we're so close now to the release of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we've talked about that a lot in recent weeks. But this deep dive, this is something we have talked about doing for a while. And yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm excited because it, I get to do two things that I love to do. One is uh, having an excuse to rewatch Star Wars and to to talk about Star Wars. And as you know, no other podcast out there does that. We're unique. Like, so first of all, we're the only podcast in New Zealand. <laughs> Two, we're the only podcast in the world talking about Star Wars. And three, we're the only podcast going back to these sort of older movies. So we it's a special time. It really is. Um so let's let's kick in to episode one, The Phantom Menace, uh nineteen ninety-nine. Dan, the synopsis for this one very briefly, the Evil Trade Federation led by Newt Gunray is planning to take over the peaceful world of Naboo. Jedi Knights Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi are sent to confront the leaders, but not everything goes to plan. The two Jedi escape with their new Gungan friend, Jar Jar Binks, uh, where they head to Naboo to warn Queen Amidala. But droids have already started to capture Naboo, and the Queen is not safe there. Long story short, we go to Tatooine, we have a lot of fun. Uh, They find a kid called Anakin Skywalker... And the group must now find a way to get to Coruscant and finally solve this trade dispute. Because, of course, the trade dispute is the heart of this movie. Uh, but there's someone else hiding there in the shadows. Are the Sith extinct? Is there a Sith in their ranks? Is the Queen really who she says she is? And who and why is this boy so special, Then This is a special movie, Paul. And I feel like just so many memories come back for me about this one. Because I remember standing in... I think it might have been Paper Plus, uh, a book a book chain store in, in New Zealand, which you don't really see around much anymore. But in looking at the the movie magazines with pictures of Queen Amidala on the front or uh, Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan and just being so excited that, that we were getting more Star Wars movies and, you know, I guess like, like many Star Wars fans, we kind of grew up loving a new hope empire strikes back return of the jedi and it's now 
almost sort of what 15 16 years since we've had any star wars movies and there's this new movie coming called episode one we know what it's kind of you know it's going to be the origin story of darth vader but at the same time like it's like it's it's new and it's fresh and it's just what a time to be alive 1999 ah it's just bringing back all the good feels it really is. I remember when the trailer for this came out. The trailer, I remember, almost more than going to the movie, which is a weird thing to say. But it's back in the late 90s, so the internet, you know, wasn't what it is today. And there there was no smartphones or tablets. And I don't even remember laptops, if I'm honest. We didn't all even have computers. So I remember crowding around, you know, someone who did have a computer and just watching a quick time um, of, of, this, of this movie trailer. And we just talked about every scene every piece of dialogue for hours and just watched it and rewatched it to the point of being able to to quote the whole trailer from from start to finish and um and i guess it was similar hype to when we had the sequel trilogy come many years later but of course back then as you said we hadn't had anything for 16 years since return of the jedi so this was it was just shocking it was just something i didn't expect yeah look, um the same when i saw the the trailer in the movie theater and You've got to sort of like put it in the context of the time, because right? as you say, there's no, there's no Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, sort of like giving you like push notifications about all this content coming. YouTube is sort of talking about it. Like, I remember sitting in the theater and just seeing that Lucas, um, Lucasfilm logo appear and the the start of the Star Wars music, and it's like a chill just goes down my entire body as I'm like, oh my god, this is it, yep. and just seeing that trailer for the first time was such an emotional, intense experience that, and, and it's still to this day when I see a new Star Wars trailer, I still have that feeling. And I love that it kind of brings about that that emotion. Oh, every time the emotion. I mean, Star Wars is very good with trailers. Uh, and speaking of merchant, I mean, the, the promotion, sorry, the poster, I'm just looking at the poster for episode one, that classic, just Anakin walking on the sand in the shadow that he's casting as Vader. I mean, that was all we needed at that point. We we were already hyped. Um, you know, no matter what we or anyone else says about this movie, it was a massive event in the world of Star Wars. Um, you know, at that point, for me, before this came out, the assumption was that the story of Star Wars was was done. You know, the Empire had been defeated. The Ewoks and the Rebels were, you know, having a bit of a barbecue, eating I don't know what they were eating, and 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 then you know when this was announced the not just the fans but the wider public i think just the amount of hype they almost didn't even have to pay a publicist it just did it itself and of course the biggest thing we're going to go back in time that was you know what what, what is this movie going to be we're going to find out where vader came from and it's i think too it, it's always wowed me on a pure sort of uh costuming and effects and design sort of challenge level that you know we've we've already got like when you when you think about a new hope right stormtroopers and darth vader that still look awesome to this day yeah and how they created a a costume that could just stand the test of time like that and to then have to think they have to kind of retro go back a few steps to have a an earlier version of those costumes always kind of was like what how do you even like do that like how do you kind of like of course you can sort of like dumb it down a little bit or, or change it but it, it, even that was amazing to me that they're, they're they're taking something awesome and they're taking it back a few few levels before it gets to that iteration 
It's interesting talking about costumes because whenever I think of you know Obi Wan in A New Hope and and the the, the robes that he's wearing, you know, I just always thought, oh well, he's he's on a in the desert, and said so that's why he's wearing stuff like that. But no, this is this is the costume we're gonna we're gonna wear in, in Coruscant in the Jedi Temple, and it's um, costumes are are a big thing in Star Wars, and this movie um, this movie sets a, a standard for 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 the costumes i think and you know i think not just the jedi but uh you know all the different various amidala outfits um the the look and feel of the gungans there's so much to jump into um where are we going to start then i think well, let's do a bit of a, a walk through the through the general plot and some of the sort of like yes some of the a bit more of the sort of context because i think what's interesting about this movie is as much as we are sitting here gushing over it like I, I've been on journeys where I've talked about these movies being um, not so great, but I, I'm I've really evolved, and I'm I'm in the camp now that that I love it for what it is. But it does have its um, flaws, and we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about what I think some of our favourite parts are, and some of the parts which I don't think work. But I do think the Phantom Menace in general um, suffers from something that we've talked about here on the podcast before, where you know technology in 1999 wasn't quite. What it needed to be, so that when you rewatch these movies, the the effects are very obvious, sort of green screen digital effects, and that can take you out of it. But I think every time I watch the Phantom Menace, there is more to love than there is to hate. So, should we sort of talk about what's going on and, and sort of some of the the key things that are happening here? Yeah. So, starting right at the start and on that sort of criticism train that we we will inevitably get on, this has the worst ever opening crawl if you read the text of the opening crawl of the phantom menace as, as the because you know, you've just had the fanfare and the star wars and now the yellow lines are going up this up the screen and within the first three or four lines they're talking about taxation and trade routes and and senates and committee and i think at the time i was so elated to be in the cinema seeing star wars that i was probably not even reading the words but one thing i can compare that to is a strong memory and i know we shouldn't jump the timeline too much but when i think about sitting down in the cinema for the force awakens and the credits went and that opening line i'll never forget seeing that first line luke skywalker has vanished and i just compare that that moment with with this and i think um so much of the criticism that's leveled at this movie is around as you said sort of the technology and effects and the green screen usage but the just the premise around the taxation of trade routes i think they could have he could have, George, he wrote the whole thing, could have possibly found a different way to create a a, a setting that didn't necessarily have to involve those things. Yeah, it's very um it's very of a very sort of almost like mature yeah. economics chat, isn't it, around what, what's happening in the in the Republic and it's it, yeah, it's it's a it's a funny choice and I think I would imagine, if I think back to a uh, younger Daniel Whiting, probably kind of oblivious to all that sort of stuff. Every time they talked about trade routes and who's, you know, who's getting taxed and trade blockades, like I was probably just like, oh yeah, but like, where's the lightsabers, you know? And I, I probably <laughs> yeah. just wasn't even really taking it in. But I think as you, you know, as you get a little bit older and wiser, you start to sort of think about that context. And even though I think it is kind of a a bit of a a bit naff when you think about it for you know when you think episode one of star wars like is this really the the core of what we need to know i think all of that stuff 
is core in the context of the universe, especially when you start going into um, the Clone Wars animated series and stuff like that, because the the Jedi Council and their involvement in politics and all those other things, they they do kind of matter, but doesn't matter in a movie context? I think that's a good question. Not too sure. Yeah, it's interesting, right? One of the things I thought that was done really well was, I mean, firstly, we see this, this ship come into screen, which of course, so many Star Wars movies start with, and the look and feel of this ship is so different to what we've been used to in, you know, we used to call it the Star Wars trilogy. From this point forward, this movie changes that. It's now the original trilogy. And the ship design that we have in, in episode one, that that's those sleek, silver, you know, really different to the rusty, sort of barely held together Millennium Falcon type look. It's it's a very different feel right off the right off the bat. Oh, definitely. And I, I think it's it, again, it speaks to a whole different era of the of the yeah. timeline and just the uh, the flourishing success of some of these organisations and, and and why they're the, the trade blockades and the the taxes are working because they've got fancy starships rolling around the galaxy. The entrance, the entrance of Obi Wan and Qui Gon into that scene. You know, they're walking in with their hoods. Like they should have a sign. Please, please remove your hood. You know, it's very rude to walk in with your hoods in, but it makes for a great moment when the hoods come off and Obi Wan delivers. A, I have a, I have a really bad feeling about this, which is a great first line. Oh, it, fantastic first line, and it, you know, it, it, even now, like it's kind of weird that like you're coming into a a delegation meeting. You've got your hood up, like some type of sort of like like you're already there for trouble. Yeah, and. Like, you kind of instantly sense trouble. Qui-Gon instantly kind of, like, sort of, like, stand down, you know, like, yeah. like chill out. And then instantly turns into trouble. Like, it, it kind of goes against the whole sort of, you know, use the force, search your feelings, um, to kind of be, like, shut down straight away. But that, that intro is pretty awesome because, again, like, we kind of start the movie with, oh, we're here for some trade negotiations. Woo! Like yeah. and then before you know it, they were actually getting deep into some uh, lightsaber battles. We get to uh, see them break out of that room. We get to see the viceroy kind of freaking out that they're Jedi's, and it always kind of surprises me in the Star Wars universe that people don't know what a Jedi is. Like, because at this point in the timeline, there's Jedi's everywhere, and they go, "Oh no, they've sent Jedi!" Like, who else is turning up in their dressing gown with their hood up? That's like, right. You know, like it's. It's crazy. I turn up in my dressing gown probably, but the um, Nuke Gunray uh, and I don't know the name of his mate, the um, the stunted slime as Palpatine refers to him. I love their accents. I love their voices. I, I've always loved those those characters. I do love the way, you know, just after we've had the Jedi turn up and they panic, as you say, I love how they bring in Palpatine so early and and not, you know, not Senator Palpatine, but the cloaked Dark Lord, because that Palpatine hologram instantly connects us, you know, back in '99, to someone, someone we know from Return of the Jedi, and it's not, it's not just a character we know, but it's, it's our first person, us, you know, connection in terms of the same actor you can tell by the voice, and that instantly makes it okay. This is, this is real. Definitely, yeah, and I think that that's one of that's a good call actually, because it is one of those moments that connects the whole story together. It's um. And and I think that's where it's sort of like well played for as much as we're kind of giving it a hard time for being a very mature subject matter or, um, or boring subject matter, depending on the way you look at it. it they, there is some good sort of things that happen very quickly to bring you back into the, the Star Wars universe we all know and love. Indeed. And then, of course, as you say, they escape, they land down on the planet and we're introduced to our first full CGI character, 
Jar Jar Binks, who just happens to be in the way of Qui-Gon as he's running away from, you know, the, the droid transports. I mean, imagine if he'd been somewhere else on that day. Indeed, indeed. And look, I know there's uh there's a lot of uh hate i think for jar jar binks and his character but i don't he's kind of grown on me over the years and i, I think it is through probably the the animated series that's kind of helped me kind of like come to terms with him there's no doubt that he's uh you know can be annoying and, and clumsy and unnecessary at times but i also think that's kind of one of the components of star wars like not everyone can be a um, a badass with a lightsaber and you know you do need a sort of variety of, of creatures and you know for the sake of this story Jar Jar's quite critical to it right without the without yeah. the Gungans then uh, there could have been quite a different outcome to all of this so you, again another interesting scene right and I, I love how Obi-Wan just hates collecting like these new people like in you know he he's like oh god now we're taking this gungan and he he mentions again like we've picked up another life form when when they get anakin like he's he's kind of the angry padawan and it's kind of great because i think obi-wan has always been the the super serious and that i follow the rules yep. and and um i'm not into sort of anything extra that isn't necessarily required so great and i'm still to this day i'm fascinated how they dive into the um, the lake with their jello robes on like that just feels like a, a a serious workout to try and swim with those on the the lake is really interesting eh because um i guess we're right now we're in a place where you know we've had we've seen so much with 11 movies and, and the live shows and the and the animated but until this point we'd only really seen uh tatooine hoth bespin and endor i guess and so straight away we've got this new uh, underwater environment with these crazy things that you can put in your mouth that enable you to breathe. That's that's really useful. Um, I love that that we're in exploring a new environment straight away. But you said something before that I just realised when 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 Obi Wan sees Anakin, he does actually ref- he says, "Oh, I can't help. We've picked up another useless or worthless life." I mean, what a great way to talk about. It. And no wonder Anakin in the end probably you know was a bit over Obi Wan. <laughs> I've always I always find Obi Wan so harsh in this movie, but I I equally think Qui Gon is, is can be quite stern with him as well. So yeah. it's kind of just all probably part of being in the the Jedi Order, I imagine. But it's it's not quite as uh, as as much banter and as friendliness between them as, as sometimes I like to think about. Yeah, the I mean the character of Jar Jar for me has has had a similar. Uh, what's the word? I've had a similar journey going forward. I sort of, it doesn't bug me as much as when I was younger and when there was so much criticism. Now I just think maybe they just needed to turn him down, even just turn the volume down on that particular, I don't know, there was just something a little loud. But at this point, we, we, you know, we've met um, uh, Jaja and now I'm just fast forwarding through to, Tatooine, I guess, in terms of thinking about Watto as the next fully CGI character, and for me, that is a really great example of uh, of a CGI character that really worked well. The character of Watto and the voice provided by Andy Seacom, who I've never heard of. I thought Watto is just a, a brilliant character who adds so much, and uh, I think you're right when you say the technology wasn't quite there. But when I see the scenes with Watto, I actually. I don't think that's aged at all, and I think it just works brilliantly. When I think about um, uh, 
the CGI. I, I, my CGI complaints often aren't really about Watto or Jar Jar. I actually think it's more about the droids and some of those big battle scenes a little bit further on, oh, on okay. in, the, oh, okay. in the boo. But I think the, the CGI of those characters is, for all purposes, I, I think pretty good. But I think you're right. Like I think Watto, fantastic character. And I think he's a character that I think fans have really like latched onto and have loved for years. Like, you you often hear people making Watto quotes just in day to day life. So, um, and I think just his whole relationship with, you know, the fact that Qui Gon tried to you know Jedi mind trick them into you know getting the parts that he needed and he couldn't do it and he had to go about a whole new method of securing parts, finding um, uh, credits to to fix the the starship. And and I think you know all of this is obviously kind of just serves of of him discovering Anakin and eventually going to the pod race but it's 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 interesting right because we we're kind of used to Jedi just being able to like wave their hand and just you know trick anyone and I think yeah. Watto is a, is a perfect example of you think someone you could you could do a Jedi mind trick on but no not the case at all I love that as well because you know they don't work on Jabba and now this guy he's like you know mind tricks don't work only money i love i love that voice and i love the fact that it doesn't matter what you do with your hand if you don't give me the money you're not getting nothing out of me and and that sets the whole the whole uh, premise and i guess the rationale as to why we have this pod race because for me i know that this pod race is is really largely just to, to to show off some some great CGI, some great sound effects, and and to promote a game that's coming, and it doesn't maybe really have, but that's the premise, and I don't care because I just love everything about the pod race from the minute that they bring out the the uh, the racing cars, the the pods, sorry, and the flags and the music. I just love every bit of that. And this is, I think, another good example of in the movie parts that have grown on me over time. And I remember in the early days when I'd rewatch this movie, I'd kind of be like, "Oh God, it's good when we get past the pod racing." But now I've come to really appreciate the pod racing because the, again, I actually think the effects on this are, are pretty solid. Um, it is a quite a big chunk of the movie. Like we're kind of like, you know, it's you know we're almost yep. an hour, a bit more into this movie when we're still dealing with the pod racing. But in you know, sort of retrospect, I actually think it's quite critical for, you know, actually demonstrating that Anakin is one of the few humans who can actually pod race and, and the lightning, lightning fast reactions and skills you need to become a, a pod racer. And there's actually some pretty cool effects. And so not only are we getting to see more of Tatooine, we're getting to see um, Tusken Raiders taking like pot shots at the pod racing. We get to see Aura <laughs> Singh. Like these are characters which we have seen in other parts of the Star Wars universe. And the pod racing gives us a chance to kind of understand them more. Not to mention we get more... Uh, we see a little bit of jab of the hut as well. And I think just to sort of bang on about the CGI a bit more, this is where I think the CGI is a bit all over the place because Jar Jar, Watto, Pod Racing, amazing. Mm. Um, jab of the hut looks a little bit like, uh, like you can see where they've invested heavily and where they've kind of like, this is our budget for this scene. Yeah, and it's, right. it's kind of a, a little bit all over the place in that regard. It's interesting as well, talking about how long the pod race goes on for, because it really does, but... There's actually, if you look through any of the deleted scenes, and I watched a couple of them, but there's, there's actually there's additional laps that they recorded of the uh, of the potters. And I'm just thinking, imagine because you and I often talk about put all the scenes in, give us a Lord of the Rings style. Um, you know, I, I just wonder what what the reaction might have been if they'd kept all of that in because uh, there was a lot of Padre scenes. The Jabba bit 
is interesting because we again it's another connection um and the voice feels very much you know what we hear of jabber feels very much like what we know and i think it's those little connections that we have we have it with with uh c3po with anthony daniels we have it with um, frank oz coming back as yoda and we and as we said um ian mcdermott as palpatine i think those moments just really tie it together but the the look of tatooine and I know we'd had the the special edition of A New Hope that had given us a little bit more already, but this movie is setting the standard and the tone and the style for so much that we now take for granted. If you think about what we've talked about with shows like The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett, the look and feel of Tatooine and what that is today is, yes, it's of course based on A New Hope, but there's so much that comes out of this movie. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. This is... Uh... There's some incredible foresight, isn't there? Into you know, for all the all the hate that I think people like George Lucas, Lucasfilm, Disney get around these movies, like, and I know that this was George Lucas's baby back then. Still, there's a lot of thinking around how this universe is connected and things that sort of play together right from back then, which I think is amazing. And like, still to this day, I don't know how you create a a movie when you talk about New Hope, like starting at the fourth movie. It's just mind blowing to me for such a a connected, well developed universe. It's a it's a pure it's a work of genius. It is, and just thinking about sets and places. I mean, places like Naboo, places like Coruscant, places just the, the look and feel of those. Again, the look it's it's so well done. It hasn't aged badly at all. They just look fantastic. Um, we at this point, you know, if we if we sort of fast forward through from the uh, from the pod race, I guess we're now we're now on our way back to Naboo to warn to warn the Queen, and and when we turn up there, we've got a we've got the Dark Lord of the not the Dark Lord, what's his name, Darth Maul. In fact, no, sorry, I take it back. We he was on Tatooine. That's the first time we encountered him, Darth Maul. Yeah, well, that so that scene with the first the first, uh, I guess true moment where Darth Maul reveals himself um to to Qui-Gon. Incredible fight scene. Yeah. And like I, I just love where Qui-Gon's like, Anakin, duck. And it's like and it's it's so good. Like Qui-Gon, I love that guy. So good. Such a such a fantastic Jedi. I love sort of the, every time there's a, a Darth Maul uh Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan fight scene. So intense and so so angry. And I feel like all of our lightsaber scenes to date have often been between, obviously between Luke and Vader or Obi-Wan and Vader. And this is sort of like a whole new sort of level of aggressive, oh, yeah. hateful, angry fighting. And it's it's great. It's only a short fight, mind you, because obviously Qui-Gon um, does a spin and a flip and jumps onto the, onto the uh, spaceship. But it's still a, a fantastic entry point. It's probably the most satisfying fight in terms of Qui-Gon because of course what happens later isn't so good for him but the standard of the fighting as you say is even by today's standards taking into account what we're going to see through the sequel trilogy which of course ramps things up as well the the standard of fighting is just astonishing and and you're right Qui-Gon Liam Neeson is Qui-Gon when I think of this movie more than anything I think of 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 Qui-Gon and I think of and I think of Anakin. I just feel that um the Liam Neeson just hits the ground running. Right off the bat, he's just 
perfectly into his character. He's he's got he's measured. He's just and I'm going to say something that's a little controversial because um, with the exception of the last twenty minutes for me, Ewan McGregor, uh, with the exception of all of his lightsaber scenes, he's fantastic. And the last twenty minutes, I think he does a good Alec Guinness type voice. But I don't feel like he's quite found his rhythm, and I know that he will because when we get to Revenge of the Sith, he's off the scale for me, and I can't wait to get there. But compared to Liam Neeson, I just felt like he was the one that really sold the Jedi look and feel in this movie for me. I think you're you're right, and I wonder how much of it is intentional in the sense that I'm like Obi Wan is a a fan favorite character, but this is Obi-Wan as, as a Padawan himself, ultimately. Right. Yeah. And you know, you, you can't come in super hot, but I think you're right. Like I think Qui-Gon instantly lovable. I think Obi-Wan a little bit prickly, right. And a mm. little bit like, you know, you can tell um, unpolished. And I think, you know, we'll get to that when we get to the, the bigger lightsaber jewel. Um, but he doesn't have the finesse, I guess that, that Qui-Gon has. No, I, I entirely agree. Um, so we're we're now in the in the palace, um, and I guess the this is where the film really starts to ramp up in in sort of different directions as they they need to get to the to the viceroy. Um, the the droid army is on the you know on the planet, and then we've got the Gungans coming to the fore now that we've we've had that massive reveal that oh look it, it wasn't actually the queen it was the handmaid um what what i find shocking is that the first time i watched this movie i do remember being fooled by all of that and not realizing quite what was going on and felt like an absolute idiot you know watching it now it's so obvious but uh did you did you get fooled by the whole switcheroo i i can't remember i i I think I might have sort of originally just sort of been like, oh, it looks like a different person, but not sort of thinking too much about it. Yeah. But it was a again a, a great sort of reveal, and I think they do a a fantastic job in the in their casting to to really sort of play that up. Um, obviously with Kira Knightley as well, so it's well done. Yeah, she's almost unrecognisable. I found even watching it now and, and looking for her specifically, it's uh, really well done. One thing just before we get into the, I think this is sort of the intensity of the the final part of the movie as we should just talk briefly about Anakin appearing before the Jedi council. Oh, Dan, I have, I, I have a lot of thoughts about this and I hadn't realized because I was consciously thinking of things I wanted to talk about. And one of the things was the Jedi's attitude. And uh, we've talked about this before with um, our reviews of, you know, book of Boba Fett, when we talked about Luke and Ahsoka and, and other things, but like, you know, Qui-Gon's like, Hey, I found this kid. And like, he's got more metachlorians than you Yoda. And the Jedi attitude is like, Oh, bring him before us. Then it's like, I'm, I'm really sick of that attitude. It's a classic leadership team, isn't it? Where, <laughs> it is. You know, like you, you think you've really cracked it, but they're just, they're just not interested. And it's, What's interesting about it is, obviously, all of the Jedi's are aware of the pro- the prophecy and of the of the chosen one, and and I, and it's so they're so dismissive of Anakin, and it's it's kind of disheartening, especially because, as a like you know that this is movie one, there's going to be two and three. Yeah. We know that Anakin is uh, Darth Vader, so what like. Why? Why? Why are they? Why are they pushing back so much? And why do they? Why do they give Qui Gon such a hard time over this? It's it's frustrating. Yeah, the only thing that made this watch better than the original was the fact that at this point 
we've got i watched the version on disney plus i'm not sure about you but uh, um it's got full cgi yoda as opposed to the the original dvd release and blu-ray release which was the puppet yoda which is is interesting just to go down that tangent uh because i love puppet yoda in empire strikes back and that's what we went back to when we got when we get to the last jedi but the first puppet they used in this one he just didn't look right at all but I think the CGI Yoda is, again, because it's been retrospectively added, he looks amazing. Yeah, no, look, I, I agree with you. I think um, I, I watched it also on Disney Plus and thought it looked fantastic. And it does make me wonder, and I know that they they never have any fear about tinkering with these movies that in years to come, so, so a few of these complaints that we might have about some of the other CGI characters might actually get fixed over time. Yeah. Um, Dipping them, yeah, who knows? But yeah, no, it was very good. I just wanted to touch on that quickly before we sort of jump into the the bigger battle on the boo. Yeah. Oh, and there's a lot of things about the Jedi that I have thought as I get older, and I just I also don't know that Samuel Jackson is at his best in this movie. He is a terrific actor that we love, and I, I just felt some of his scenes. And and I think I'm putting this down to the fact that so much of how they're acting is in green screen rooms talking to no one and imagining that he's talking yeah and i feel like that maybe that has a bit of an impact but anyway yeah yeah look uh, again just another kind of cold frosty unfriendly jedi which is not how we are, you know the jedi are always talk to be such a this great entity but no wonder people are considering the sith because you know a little bit more welcoming than the than the jedi council and while we're while we're bashing the jedi you know qui-gon when he 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 takes blood from anakin there's no consent there. Where's where's the consent of taking this blood? And then he's like, flicks it off to Obi-Wan, check this blood, will you? Like, I also love that when he's like, check the blood. He's like, can you check the metachlorine rate? Like, I imagine that would be a very scientific, special process that only certain people can do. No. But Obi-Wan, he just like clicks on the Excel spreadsheet and That's away it. we go. Oh, it's a metachlorine rate. Oh, it's off the charts. That's all Watch you out. Need. What are you comparing it to? What's... <laughs> nothing technical about it <laughs> nothing technical at all Dan like you said you just need a click of a button in Excel and you've got the results you need yeah yeah pivot table here carry the one all right away we go so um Anakin find a place safe uh, find a safe place and stay there um and so he finds a safe place in the cockpit of the Starfighter great place to sit and of course he goes off on his journey. This is where, for me, the movie we move into. There's there's the three different things going on, which always something Star Wars always does well. I think about it with something like Return of the Jedi, when you had the scene on Endor, and you've got the scene in space, and you've got the scene on the Death Star, and we've got the same sort of three pronged approach for the final third of this movie. And we've got you know the space battle, we've got the the lightsaber duel, and of course we've got what's going on in the palace. Yeah. No. I. Couldn't agree more with that. I think it's it's so funny, isn't it? Like, Anakin stay somewhere safe. Like, the one critical resource that we need is starfighters. And you, can you go take up a precious space in this cockpit? We'll also put our best droid in there, um, R2-D2, yep. to look after you. But in, in saying that, again, what a, a fantastic way to – because we kind of need to talk about this in two parts, right? Because there's – Obviously, one part where Anakin uh, ends up flying up into space and ultimately um, assisting the entire um, invasion effort and the repelling of the droids. Um, and it's what's always funny about it is there's so many cringy Anakin scenes with him, like yippee, yeah. and like. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's so like he's a kid, right? Like he's 
he's literally just like in a he's in a starship he's getting to you know apply some of his pod pod racing skills and he's cleaning up plus he's got the assistance of r2 and so it's really a winning formula and it's i like i i like it but nothing can compare to the awesomeness of what's happening down on the ground of naboo oh yeah i mean just before we come down to the on the ground of naboo um jake lloyd as anakin is for me he has his critics critics and i know he sort of retired from acting after this because it caused him a lot of personal stress but as anakin i think he for me just works so well and even those moments as you say yippee and all the rest of it i just there's something i just buy into him in that cockpit and i buy into him in the pod race as well and it, it and it's incredible i find that you know he's just sort of relying on instinct uh, he's pressing random buttons and it's happening to do some really good things and he sets himself on autopilot and of course it's his his torpedo whatever that actually eventually blows up the the droid ship but there's a lot of lines that he has in the cockpit where he's talking to r2 where it's so reminiscent of luke and he's even using the same lines like i know we're in trouble just hang on you know and it's it's so luke ish and i love that i I agree i i think you know, for all of the the hate that Jake Lloyd gets, I, I feel really sorry for him as a person because I think, as a person, I'm Anakin, I'm a person. Um, I think he did do a fantastic job, and I think he he sells it to me the whole time that he's a young Anakin Skywalker, and because he's he's a little bit overly confident, you can tell he's a little bit um a little bit different. But I think he does a a wonderful job, and it's it it just sucks actually that you know people like Jake Lloyd and even um Ahmed Best who plays Jar Jar Binks got yeah. such a hard time after these shows that they kind of have to you know go off the grid or give up acting or whatever it may be like these these are characters that these guys are playing like it's how how horrible would it be to be to be Jake Lloyd and go back to school and be be ridiculed for all of the things that you had to say as oh, an actor unbelievable horrible absolutely horrible and I just hope in time that something happens and that he can come to embrace us and love this and and whatever and who knows but um Dan let's go back to Naboo and I know there's a lot to talk about here the palace is a beautiful building wonderful set wonderful windows Darth Maul turns up I've got a question for you because. All of a sudden, we've gone from this this sort of what appears to be almost like a Victorian 19th century-ish, whatever-looking uh, palace. And all of a sudden, we're, we're now getting into this fight scene. Where in the world, where in the palace have Darth Maul, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon gone to? What is this environment they're in? How does that fit into the palace? I've never thought about it until I watched this movie last night. I think... Um... You know, somewhere like Naboo has got obviously uh, ancient uh, historical places, which are their palaces. But to also be a a modern uh, residence, or you know, to have you know uh, defenses lined up, and to probably power the way, power the planet. There, I would imagine. So you've got the you've got the historical protected building on the outside, and then you've got like the the proper space. Uh, functions on the inside which is where obviously the the jaw goes into that would be my take on the situation i need i need have the answer the the prelude to this whole scene of course is the you know the doors opening and maul is there and we hear the jewel of the fates theme music which when you think about all of the star wars music across the years it's one of the most iconic um pieces of music they did really well with the music in this film i thought i i um another thing i thought they did well was um, the use of the 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 Darth Vader theme here and there, the use of the Skywalker theme, particularly when um, Shmi 
Skywalker says to Anakin, don't look back, don't look back. And he walks away and the Skywalker, yeah, I thought they did really well, but Duel of the Fates plays, Maul is there. Everyone, there's just this agreement. Can we, can we all take our dressing gowns off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, you know, everyone has this like, okay, weapons down. We'll take off the dressing gowns and let's get to it. I think you're right. Like, so Jewel of the Fates, top five Star Wars music. So, so good. I play that song all the time on my Spotify playlist just to get hyped up. It's good. Whenever I'm going into battle. Um, and I think you're right. Like, for all of the things that Jedi's are involved in from trade negotiations and, you know, talking about taxes and whatever, um, when the robe comes off, you know, it is go time. And the, because this is the, this is the moment where Darth Maul releases the double-bladed lightsaber and like this this is just the moment of pure fandom and joy where it's just like oh my god he's got like a a dual lightsaber and it's we've got we've got we've got the red lightsaber we've got the blue we've got the green like we we're entering into an epic battle it is epic we've never there's so much going on because we've never seen three people involved in a lightsaber battle together at one time. We've got the the dual lightsaber. We've only ever seen Vader as the bad guy. You know, whenever the Jedi, you know, Luke or Obi Wan, it's it's only been him. So we've got this new battle and a new style of fighting. He's a terrifying look. Um, it's intense. We're seeing force jumps from different levels in this modern day energy place that you've described um and yeah there's i i just no matter how many times i've watched this i am always shocked by how uh qui-gon and obi-wan managed to get themselves separated by such a long distance that enabled maul to have an opportunity to go one-on-one with with qui-gon and watching it again as we've done many times i just don't know why he's not doing a force dash run, you know, real fast to catch up. He's just, he seems to be running for like at least 20 minutes to try and catch up. And it's really painful. If only they had R2 there with them to somehow deactivate those shields, that probably would have been of, of great assistance. Yeah, It's, um, it's interesting, right? Because I guess for the, for the Jedi, from what I understand, they haven't really encountered this type of threat before. Right. And for most people, who come across like for the for the Jedi, most situations they're dealing with, they're probably normally the advanced power, the they've got the upper hand, they've got the force. Uh and this is kind of almost kind of the the headstrongness of Qui-Gon uh wanting to sort of take this on. Obi-Wan again sort of like headstrong but independent and them not ultimately actually being ready for this duel. They're not. And you know, there's the comment made back in the Jedi Council, Sith, they've been extinct for a millennia. So of course, we're coming into this, and we've we've seen the original trilogy. Um, but when was the last time anyone actually faced a Sith? Well, the answer is never. And so, so all of a sudden, all of that training is really coming to the fore. If anything, I was impressed that they were that advanced. Like, you imagine training for a millennia for a, to fight against an enemy that never exists. Uh, it's it is incredible. But um, yeah, those those energy shields, they really made the difference in the end. They did, and they're right. It's frustrating, right? As particularly when you're a younger watcher, and you're like, "No, like, why, why, why is Obi Wan stuck behind there?" And even the way that the the duel ends, obviously, with the immediate sort of defeat of Qui Gon, is, is such a devastating moment because we've just been introduced to this character. We've all fallen in love with him. We love what he represents about the the Jedi Order. 
we're probably expecting to see him for at least the next, you know, three, like two movies after this. Um, and all of a sudden, lightsaber through the chest. Not good. Not good at all. Darth Maul watching this uh, to give him some credit because he only has three lines in this entire movie, which is incredible. He's a very silent villain in that respect. And I watched this time quite closely the, the his mannerisms. And as soon as he's spiked uh, Qui-Gon, He's done. He's already turned his back on him. He's not interested. There's no sort of celebrate. He he, and he's just menacingly, just sort of parading in front of Obi Wan, just waiting. And Obi Wan's got like that boxer sort of jumping on his feet, waiting for the you know. And I'm thinking, even as I'm watching it now for the twenty fifth time, oh, you know, control your anger, Obi Wan. It's not going to do you any good. But Maul is, he's really efficient. He's like, okay, I've taken care of that. Who's next? And, and he's, I I really appreciate that because I don't think I've studied him in enough detail in this movie before i think more is one of the one of the because he's many great one of the greatest star wars characters ever created and again another character who in the uh the, the star wars saga of the movies who we don't like again sort of meets his demise but he's he's so good he was able to take on two jedis and two two great jedis at that and a fantastic bad guy. And I was ready for three movies of, of Darth Maul. And <laughs> the, the fact that Obi-Wan defeated him, I was, I was almost equally as heartbroken about that as I was Qui-Gon. Yes. And thank goodness we get a bit more of Maul back uh, in, in other ways. But um, who, who would have known that back in 1999? Uh, so this battle continues. And as you say, you know, we, we lose Qui-Gon. We now lose, lose Maul. Um, and, and meanwhile, the battle down on the planet, of course, has, has come to an end because Anakin has luckily taken out the, the droid ship and that's deactivated all of the droids. And we're now pretty much into, pretty much into celebration mode. And I think, you know, this is a, a big moment in, I think, Star Wars lore that these droids were deactivated, like as a real flaw in having actual droids as your army right like which which really you know starts to sort of make the movement towards the the clones because you know, they can't be deactivated by by a battery basically exactly always always go with clones over droids that is one of the big lessons that you learn across um the entire clone war series as well um i just want to skip right into a part of the end before i forget about it what is the deal with and maybe there are some cultures that actually do this on earth and I should be careful with my words. So I'll just ask it as a question, but standing around and watching a burning Qui-Gon as she, and they're stood real close. I think that's probably quite traumatizing. And also it must, the smell must be quite horrific. What's the deal with that? I just don't get it. Um, not too sure in a Star Wars context. I know, I definitely know there are some cultures that, are. That, that do that. And for example, wow. in the, uh, oh, I won't go into it here. I, I don't know enough about it. I might say, say the wrong thing, but, um, yeah, I think you're right. They are very close. Um, it feels like a very emotional way to see someone go. Mm. And I think the other thing is whenever they have these types of scenes in movies and Star Wars is guilty of this, often there's lots of side chats going on. Like if I'm sitting there <laughs> yes. watching, watching my master, former master now sort of be cremated as such i don't want someone giving me side quips about my new padawan or um you know 
the force or anything like this. This is a time of focus, not a not a time of like side convos. <laughs> Someone to your left is saying, have we got a meeting on Tuesday? Are we still on for Tuesday? Yeah, 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 we've got a meeting on Tuesday. It's like you don't want any of the any of that small yeah, talk going yeah, on. Exactly, exactly. But again, though, like very reminiscent for me in the sort of the final scenes. Obviously, we have the uh, the 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 death of Qui Gon and obviously his um, the ceremony. But then we have the parade, right? And that very much reminds me of a of a New Hope where um, we're, we're celebrating at the end. There's medals handed out, and we'll, we'll once we review a New Hope, we'll, we'll talk about the 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 horribleness of the affair that Chewbacca never got a, a medal. Anyway, <laughs> obviously, like, you know, there's a bit of a time jump here because we have the parade, we see Palpatine, uh, we see Anakin in his full uh, Jedi Padawan attire. He's got, like, a little Padawan plait. So, obviously, sort of, I would imagine several months, several, maybe even a year has passed, right? Maybe longer because that, that plait feels very long. Yeah, oh, it really does. And I, I love the... Just prior to that, the Palpatine lines Anakin and you, young Skywalker, we all watch your career with great interest and the smile across his face. Um, I have a question for you around that, actually, because um, every time I watch this movie, I'm always aware that Shmi Skywalker says to Qui-Gon, you know, there was no father. And of course, we've never had a canon answer as to the origins of Anakin. And there's so much speculation and speculation sometimes leads to things becoming canon around that the dark side of the force that Palpatine had had was in fact the father of Anakin. And who knows if we'll ever get an answer to that. But there was, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different theories there, but what's the deal? Does, does Palpatine know right from the start who he is? In my, in my, in the canon in my mind, and I know that every Star Wars fan has their own canon, which has to be really sort of um, navigated and tackled. Um, I, I don't think Palpatine knows. I think he's just kind of like, I think he senses and he knows as much that, like he probably has got the same Excel spreadsheet that says he's got a high Metachlorian rate. And I would imagine Palpatine being Palpatine, he is equally aware of the prophecy of the one that will bring balance to the force. And so he, he would have that same information, right? And so he's probably just thinking that, whether how it plays out who knows but what we know about Palpatine is um, he's a bit of a puppet master so he'll be able to pull the strings that he needs to to get the outcome that he wants okay okay good answer good answer um there's a yeah it is a great celebration screen the the music just going back to the music quickly um is the celebration music that they play on the boot if you listen to that and then listen to the emperor's theme from return of the jedi it is the same uh, melody the same rhythm but played at a higher octave so it sounds like a celebratory piece of music as opposed to what we hear in return of jedi i've always found that quite a fascinating thing we've got uh this big blue thing that's being held up into the sky i don't know what that is but some sort of symbol of partnership between the gungans and and the boo and with that we get the the the, the final credits and written and directed by george lucas amazing um, yeah, I think it's this is a, a good movie, right? Like, I would almost love to see in a in an alternate timeline um, if we could just see how, if this movie was remade today, the story it would tell, and maybe mm-hmm. how they would do it. Um, I, I think it would be a still a fantastic piece of uh, 
oh, con- fantastic contribution to the to the Star Wars universe. But it's it's such an interesting movie because it does have its flaws. It is got it's quite a different tone, I think, to some of the other Star Wars content. But it's also setting us up for so much more to come, and more than anything, for me, when those credits roll, I'm just like, how are they going to turn Anakin into Darth Vader? within the next two movies and and already this is where a young Daniel Whiting's mind is aware with different thoughts and feelings about how that might play out yeah it's interesting because as much as I've just praised Jake Lloyd and loved that Anakin young character I sometimes wonder did we start too far back and I say that because the reason I say that more than anything is because the gap between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope for me is too big I in my mind naively perhaps thought when I sort of, you know, I don't want to get to Revenge of the Sith, but I thought that movie was going to carry on through the, um, the, the, you know, the Vader coming into the costume and we'd get a whole 30 minutes at least of Vader. And I, I wanted that to be closer. And one way to achieve that, of course, is to, is to start episode one much, much later. So imagine if we'd gone with episode one, starting with Obi-Wan and Anakin in that lift in Attack of the Clones, and that's the start, which literally those two are together. You know, we would have had an extra whole movie. So did, would that address that problem, I wonder? I think the, the yes, uh, potentially, but I think we needed, I think we needed the real origin of where Anakin came from. I think where they could have done things differently is, is that second movie for me. Like the second movie could have advanced far more quickly into Revenge of the Sith yeah, territory. And yeah. then in Revenge of the Sith could have been our, our opportunity. I actually think that, you know, if we're going to talk about um, where this movie starts, the actual biggest problem for me in all of this is the age difference between Anakin and Padme. It's it's too great for me. I, I don't like it. It's Every time I watch it, I feel creeped out by the fact that, you know, it's obviously addressed and fixed a little bit in um, Attack of the Clones, but I just... I didn't like, it felt creepy the way that Padme's talking to Anakin, the way that Anakin's kind of like, you're a space angel, you know, like it's, it, it didn't feel right. I, I wish that age gap wasn't quite as big. It's so interesting you pick up on that because we literally had this conversation, Diana and I, last night because we watched it with our 12-year-old son who said, oh, how old is, like he, he had picked up on what you'd said exactly and we were like, oh, look, she's, She's probably like 16 and he's probably around 10. So it's probably around six years difference. So when you fast forward to, you know, when he, when she's, you know, 26 and, and he's 20, it doesn't feel as bad. But the fact that you're bringing it up again is now making me question that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think because he's so short at this point, um, you know, he hasn't grown like he does, you know, in Attack of the Clones. Well, I just think it's like you've got, it's because I think Padme is, she's Queen Amidala. She's like she's literally negotiating um, with the Trade Federation. She she's doing very adult things. Anakin is is carving necklaces out of peanut shells and and giving them to to Padme. Like they like there's a it, look age and once you get older after a certain point doesn't matter, right? But I think in the context of like. This it's very weird, and I I think this is probably one of the the big issues for this movie overall. It wouldn't be the first time that that's happened in Star Wars when you think about the the Luke Leia situation, and we'll we'll come to that when we get there as well. But um, yeah, very interesting. In terms of other sort of 
questions and thoughts I had on this, then if you could change one thing, have you already covered off? Is there something else you might change or? Um, oh, it's tough, right? Cause there's probably a handful of things that I'd like to, to tweak or evolve. I think, um, I think for me it probably would be that that that, that age thing because I think okay. it, it it brings a it brings a creepy element to me. I think there's there's other elements which I I you know would I like to change the way that Jar Jar Binks is. Yes, do I think we need so much time? Um, or like you know like could we have actually saved quite like you know it's tough because on one hand like there's there's things like this age thing which kind of just sort of morally bother me. But if I could change one thing about the movie, like maybe I would have liked to have seen uh, Darth Maul actually be our key villain throughout the whole yeah three movies. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I um, what else did I have here? So the other the other sort of thought I had thinking about uh, episode two and the journey of Vader. And obviously we know he's going to become Vader. So why battle that? But I did think Qui-Gon could have tried a little harder to have freed Shmi Skywalker, his mum. And, you know, if he had maybe later on, he might not have got so angry when, you know, he encounters Boba's old Tuscan mates in episode two. I, I Very good call. I think that um, he, but I think, you know, like if you look at the history of the Jedi, you know they they're always picking up force force sensitive beings and stripping them away from their families. Like it's quite a it's quite a horrible practice when you think about it. And in the context of the story, like every time it bothers me that Smee doesn't even get a chance to get off. And because like, I feel like they could have they could have saved her. You know if they if he really wanted to. But I guess in the in this for the sake of the story, there's no place for Smee at the temple. No, that's right. For the sake of the story, and it did make for a very good. Um, story in in episode two which of course we'll come to uh a couple of bits of trivia that i picked up on down i'm not sure what you have but liam neeson apparently signed on to this movie without even reading the script he was just so excited to be in a Wars movie that he signed and that just feels like me like if something comes through my you know mailbox and says would you like i'm signing i it doesn't matter what happens next i'm signing and i love that someone like liam neeson a really established actor is just exactly the same hundred uh, percent. If someone said to me, "Do you want to roll and start?" I'll just like just send the paperwork. I don't, I don't care whether I'm being paid. Um, just getting paid. If I'm just one of the, I'm the weird background actor, and I'll tell you about a weird background actor. And the, and that when we first meet Sabalba, and when Jar Jar's walking through, and Sabalba like, you know runs over and sort of pins Jar Jar down in the background there's this weird character with like black eye makeup on sitting at a table like there's all sorts of weird quirky Star Wars characters on um on Tatooine in particular and I'd love to be one of them it'd be great what a great story another thing uh there was an earlier draft of the script that apparently placed more emphasis on Obi-Wan and originally he was going to be a fully trained Jedi at the start of the movie and also the only negotiator who was sent to Naboo and in that draft the character of Qui-Gon doesn't get introduced until they reach Coruscant. And then that character was actually going to be the same age as Obi-Wan and not a mentor. That's an interesting take. I don't know that I would have liked that as much because I love the, the I, despite all the various criticisms we have, I do love the, the, the Qui-Gon-Obi-Wan relationship and the whole journey that they take through this movie together. But I would, I would love to see some, uh, some early scripts, um, for this movie just to see yeah in fact any star wars movie but this one particularly I, uh, fascinating right like instantly that already feels like a an, an, a very different and interesting take on this movie and i think this is where it's hard because i 
I almost want to jump into Attack of the Clones, but and I actually, you know, now fully understand why they made seven seasons of the Clone Wars, the animated series, because there is so much that happens between the Clone Wars and Revenge of the Sith that, you know, both for Obi-Wan, for Anakin, introduction of other characters like Ahsoka that matters so much to this to the story and what we're getting with these three movies is a very small glimpse into what's happening in the universe absolutely absolutely and that's where those series and books are really great to dive into because yeah the gaps between two and three the gaps between three and four are so big compared to the gaps between you know four and five and 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 seven and eight and so on so um it is a, a an area worth exploring uh this is a fascinating movie. The rewatch was so much fun. We're going to rank these movies as we go through uh, each of them. Uh, one of the things we do. So right now, as this is placed at number one because there's no other competition, so that's easy at this point. Um, any final thoughts, Dan? Um, just a, a couple of little bits of uh, trivia for me. So um, apparently, Ron Howard was actually approached to also direct The Phantom Menace. Uh, he revealed that on a podcast at the same time. Um, George Lucas had also approached Steven Spielberg as well, which I again would be very interesting takes. Right, like we've had um, half a Ron Howard uh, Star Wars movie, which was awesome. Mm. It would have been imagine how different this could have been with a, a different director at the helm. Again, not necessarily for better or worse, but I think just generally fascinating. Yeah, oh, I love that thought because the maker himself, George Lucas, in terms of writing, in terms of characters, in terms of imagination, it, I, I, you know, I can't say enough. But when I think about the movies and you look at the who's directed, there is something about a, a George Lucas direction that's maybe not quite what I'm looking for. And what I saw of Ron Howard's direction uh, in the Star Wars context, I am a massive fan. I can't wait till we get to that one. It would have been fascinating if he had done this. Imagine it. Indeed. Uh, we also, um, actor Benicio Del Toro was originally slated to play Darth Maul, oh. which I think is, a, a again, a, a fascinating little bit of uh, trivia. But he actually backed out of the movie because he didn't have enough dialogue, like you mentioned. Yeah. Darth Maul only actually has, you know, three or four lines. So, can't, crazy. Can't, I mean, I, I can't blame him because he doesn't have much lines, but at the same time, I'm like, what are you doing? This is Star Wars. You might not get another chance. Maybe he'll get another chance later. Who knows? Yeah. And then I'll, I'll give you two other little um, tidbits. So these actors could have been Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon Jinn. And so there was um, – George Lucas was having conversations with Morgan Freeman. Wow. Tom Tom Hanks, Kurt Russell, Denzel Washington. I've got to be honest because all of those actors you mentioned I love for different reasons, but I don't think I could have handled Kurt Russell – uh, I think Morgan Freeman would have been a really interesting choice. I think that would have been really good. Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors. No, it, yeah. it's it, yeah. it's there's something about this franchise that I don't want to see the biggest names attached somehow. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. And I'll give you uh, just one final bit of um, trivia. So Ewan McGregor is a nephew of Dennis Lawson, who is Wedge Antilles in the original series. Yes, I, I was aware of that one. I think he had something to do with Wedge's reappearance in uh, The Rise of Skywalker. I think he, he may have had something to do with that. But um, fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, no, this, is, uh, this, this has been a great rewatch, Paul. Enjoyed every moment of it. It's something of a full measure for us, I guess, a deep dive like this. And as I said at the start, I know that I've got 
10 other movies and, and goodness knows what else to, to look forward to. And it is the first time that I will have watched the whole way through since the Rise of Skywalker came out. So um, it's quite it's quite good to be doing this the whole way through. Well, not only that, are we sort of going to watch these in timeline order? We're going to be adding in Solo. We're going to be adding in Rogue One. That's the and it's going to be I, – I, I'm looking forward to talking about it in, in timeline order. I loved talking about uh, the Marvel movies in timeline order, and I imagine this is going to be no different. So good times ahead. Timeline order is the only order. This has been great. So next week then we will be diving into Attack of the Clones in episode – 114 and i look forward to that all right then until next week everyone adios 